the latest on NAD. It can restore age-related muscle deterioration. Ecopolytech in Luzon, France, says so. Now, I'll go into greater depth on this, and it's published in the peer-reviewed journal Cell Reports. Also, special thanks to Zach White from Life Extension. Gives us a lot of new information on the longevity of the senolytic and what it means to be able to clean out debris, dead cells, damaged cells from the body. So we're going to talk about those a little more depth than normal. But we have a lot more to talk about as well. We're going to share insights on can menopause be blamed for increased forgetfulness and lack of attention from the North American Menopause Society. Why? Because new studies suggest that a woman's menopause stage can affect cognitive performance. Declines in memory may persist in the postmenopausal period. What can we do to reverse that? Having led the largest, most comprehensive in-depth menopausal study ever, uh, 500 women who all were in menopause for a year, meeting every week, making blood chemistry measurements and and medically supervised, but it was not medical. It was all in lifestyle. We were able to reverse cognitive decline, reverse hair loss, thinning, premature graying, thinning of the eyebrows, hot flashes, night sweats, fatigue, vaginal dryness, um, also our arthritic flare-up and uh, weight gain without overeating, all of that and more. We reversed it completely. So I've got some specific advice that can help women who are having cognitive performance or memory decline. We'll share that today. And also today, we'll take a look at New York University School of Medicine's new report about two chemicals, the phylates and DDE. What it means is that endometriosis and fibroids are caused by these common chemicals and costing billions of dollars in medical costs. But it, once we know that it's causing it, we can reverse it by preventing it, our exposure, just like exposure to asbestos or smoking or caffeine. So those are the health and issues, uh, health issues we're going to take on. But also today, an original insight into the reasons to question, legitimately question, the COVID-19 vaccine narrative. Now, that is not the same as suggesting you shouldn't take the vaccine. I would not tell you. I believe in freedom of choice. It's your body. It's your choice. Do you want to vaccinate or not? But at least if you're going to vaccinate, be properly informed. If you're not going to vaccinate, be even more well-informed. Don't take my or anyone else's word. Do your homework. To help you, we have a lot of new information. But what I've done is this. We finally were able to get our hands on the actual study. And now I'm telling you, the New York Times got it wrong. Washington Post, the whole world media got it wrong. How is that possible with as many talented, educated, and sincere journalists that exist? Well, this is what is known as agenda-driven journalism, and it dominates today. So we're going to deal with that. Also today, we're going to talk about cynicism. Now, this is for the school teacher who decided that uh, that she didn't like uh, some of the historical literature, the Ovid, um, Odyssey. And so she wanted Homer taken out of this curriculum, books, banned, possibly burned. Well, I'm going to challenge her on her knowledge of history, the classics, and I'm going to give you a historical oversight today about cynicism was born when Diogenes rejected materialism and manners. So when you saw the hippies in the 1970s with the paisley outfits and wild free-flowing hair and, and uh, the antisocial behavior, happiness galore, that came from someplace. We're going to track that. And then on a regular basis, I'm going to take some of the most important historical minds and share insights about who they were, what their beliefs were, why they were important and should not be banned, but rather celebrated like Spinoza. So 
This is a challenge to the misinformation, misguided foolishness of the cancel culture. Also, time permitting today, well, we're going to make sure this gets to you. On the last two programs, especially last night, we have been mentioning certain people by name. For example, uh, for example, Peter Daszak, that's D-A-S-Z-A-K, of Echo Health. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Echo Health Alliance? Yeah, sign me up. Not so fast. And so it's been alleged that he has a conflict of interest. He shouldn't be heading a whole program. He should not be the lead investigator chosen by the World Health Organization to go in and determine, was there anything going on that we should know about untoward at the Wuhan Biological Institute. Well, did you know what he did at that institute? No? Well, at 28 minutes and 10 seconds into a, a video that we managed to get our hands on, he tells us. So, today, you're going to hear from the person directly about, well, they were working on this bat virus, and yeah, they were engaged in enhancing it, gain of function, enhancement. Mm-hmm. So is it reasonable to suggest now that we have a first-person acknowledgement who was there, who funded research, who oversaw research, that Krona came from that and accidentally got out? Shouldn't everyone involved, including Anthony Fauci, was funding this? Shouldn't all these people be held accountable? That's your call. Also, I don't think we'll have time today, but Glenn Greenwald about big tech is censoring the COVID debate. He is correct. They're also censoring Glenn Greenwald. And what leftists think about freedom of speech, I'm very concerned, as is, as you heard um, uh, on Friday's program, Chris Hedges talking about what has happened to the left. Well, what happened to the left? My goodness, it has been hijacked. And those who are true liberals and are, are very ethical and want to do the right thing, not have wars, not regime change, not destroy the environment, not get in bed with corporate America and sell out our interest, they've been pushed out. And now you just have the hardcore. So we're going to talk about that. But we always begin with the latest on health and healing. NAD is one of the six most important anti-aging nutrients you can take. I'll put it into very straight language. And I was thinking about this this morning. Every day, do we stop for a moment and realize we will never be as young as we are in this moment. That with only so many days of life in each person, and that can mitigate up or down based upon the circumstances and choices in our lives, that we should hold each day precious and not just go through with mindless rituals and routines. Some routines are normal, and we have to do it. Now, if you have an animal uh, in your life, if you have a child, you have to take care of them. That's your responsibility. And not just in a flippant or fast or cursory manner, but really with conscious uh, awareness that, that they are dependent upon you. And so give them that time and energy. Be responsible. But what time and energy do you give yourself? Do you give yourself quality time? Do you balance your life? Because almost everything occurs when there's an imbalance. When you're on a tightrope, and we actually did this as a metaphor, I had a wonderful uh, tightrope guy. He, he was so good, so personable and upbeat. Had this whole head of real thick red hair. And uh, he, a natural, by the way, it wasn't I. And he walked tightrope. And I said, why don't you put it one inch off the ground? And it was a big, thick one. And, and uh, he said, why? I said, I want to show you a simple example of what fear does to imbalances. So people came over, and uh, we stretched the type rope, and he anchored it between two trees, and it was only about 20 feet. And I said, now, would you show us how to walk a type rope? So he got up, and he walked, and he said, the whole key is balance. And so I said, now, what would happen if we suddenly put 
an apple in one hand. If both hands were out and you were trying to balance, suddenly you're no, no longer balanced. You've tipped it slightly. What if we put a one-pound weight, a five-pound weight, a 20-pound weight? You're not going to be able to have balance. You're not going to get across the tightrope. Now, how much of your life is based upon putting things in your life, responsibilities or something that imbalances it? And then I said, but fear of losing our balance, fear of the consequences of not being balanced, fear of failing frequently causes to be our own imbalancer, emotional imbalancer. And so we had everyone walk across the tightrope who wanted to, and nobody fell off. And uh, then we put it up six feet with a safety net, and nobody wanted to try it. Mind you, it's only six feet. When it's right on the ground, one inch off the ground, well, if you fall, you, it's like stepping off a curb, even less. So just imagine that as a metaphor for our lives, that each day when we wake up, we can either put things in or take things out of our life that will suddenly give us back our balance. When you exercise every day, and I, I've come up with a whole new exercise program, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be beginning it with the people coming for the... Uh, the advanced anti-aging two-week study group in April, the last two weeks, I'm going to give them an brand new, I've never done this before, and it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. I'm getting results um, on myself, in which I used to do a two-hour workout. I'm getting the same kind of results in 18 minutes. Yeah. So uh, I won't go into it now, but I'll be premiering it there, and, and people are going to... So, but you have to bring balance into your life and you have to bring exercise to create the balance. You have to bring a good diet to create the balance. You have to bring the juices, the supplements to create the balance. You have to have healthy relationships to create the balance. You have to have a mind that allows itself to create in some area, a hobby, writing, poetry, something, learning a, a musical instrument, learning new words, something that challenges the brain and you to create a new sense of discipline. When people uh, ask, why do I insist that they make their bed, this is part of the self-empowerment series I do, and make it meticulously, much like a Navy SEAL, they say, what's the purpose? And I said, because once you realize that you started your day at the high end of balancing your commitment to the space you live in, now you look at that bed and you could bounce a quarter off of it, it's made neatly, I said, now, what if you carry that same sense of balance to everything else that day? You didn't overeat at a meal. You took your time. You enjoyed the people in your life. You laughed. You loved. You let that love come out, not hiding it. And so one single lesson we can then extrapolate to everything else in our life. So, and then creating, writing, whatever we're going to do, all of that brings balance. But when you just get up and you rush through breakfast and you just golf, you know, wolf down something, and you rush out and you get to work and you're all stressed, and then you get into work, are you working a job that honors your mission in life, the central meaning of your life? Probably not. But it honors your standard of living or your commitment to certain financial obligations. Can we find anything else that would do the same but also give balance back to our life? The answer is yes, but not if we're too comfortable in our routines. So getting out of routine is one of the very first important things you can do. So I give you this just as background because in helping the anti-aging process, it's not just about taking a nutrient. And some people want to take the shortcut. I'll take, uh, Gary, what are the seven nutrients that will help me reverse my aging? They won't. The seven best nutrients are only one piece of a hundred-piece puzzle. One piece. And that gets me back to NAD. Now you understand the larger context. So the older we grow, the weaker our muscles get. Riddling old age with frailty and physical disability. But this doesn't only affect the individual. It also creates a significant burden on public health care. And yet research efforts into the biological processes and biomarkers that define muscle aging have not been used even though they exist. I'm in touch with scientists all over the world who are engaged in anti-aging. 
research, and there's some phenomenal research going on. Very expensive. One in London is very, very expensive. Like, it could cost you $100,000 a year. I think that's just a ripoff. The science is behind it's not a ripoff, but the application and commodification is a ripoff. So the key is, can we do the same thing without going to London and spending $1,000 to go to a clinic and get, you know, some stem cell, you know, transfusion? The answer is yes. You can create new stem cells. Yeah, juicing does it if you do enough of it and consistently with the right vegetables and fruits. Exercise does it. So you see, to get one piece of the puzzle, new stem cells, you have to engage 50 other pieces of the puzzle synergistically, and now that one piece makes a difference. So you can create a completely different defined muscle system as you age. Even if you're already older, you can get new muscles in, in your body. So now a team of scientists from a laboratory in the School of Life Sciences looked at the issue through a different angle, the similarities between muscle aging and the de degenerative muscle diseases. They had discovered protein aggregates that deposit in skeletal muscles during natural aging that blocking this can prevent the de detrimental features of muscle aging. And the studies published in the Perry Journal Cell Reports, new issue. Here's what it says, quote, during age-associated muscle diseases, such as inclus inclusion, body my uh, myositis, our cells struggle to maintain correct protein folding, leading these misfolded proteins to precipitate and forming toxic protein aggregates within the muscles. The most prominent component of these protein aggregates is beta amyloid. This, like in the amyloid plaques in the brains of patients with Alzheimer's disease, end quote. So what happens is some of the broken down muscle from your exercise normal living, it doesn't cleanse out of the body. It stays and it it just it's like never changing the oil in your in your engine. All right. So they identified amyloid like protein aggregates in aged muscle from different species. And uh, then they tried something. They tried NAD. And the researchers, in this case, the vitamin nicotamide, riboside, and the anti-tumor agent, aloparabin, both of which boost the levels of NAD, which is a biomolecule that's essential for maintaining the mitochondrial function. Quite simply, you have more energy with NAD. You stay younger longer with NAD. But in this particular scientific study, they found that it really helped block uh, how the body processes these uh, unfolded proteins. So in the lay language, NAD helps the aging process. Now, if, if you start becoming a little forgetful or have more difficulty processing complex concepts than you did in the past, the problem may be your menopausal stage you're in. That includes perimenopause. A new study claims that menopause stage is a key determinant of cognitive uh, and memory and that shows certain cognitive declines may continue into postmenopause. This was published in the peer-reviewed journal Menopause. So what can we do about this? Well, the most important thing you can do is switch to a healthy, organic plant-based diet, flood your body with phytonutrients from fresh juices, grape juice, fresh made, seed, seeds in the grapes are the best, in the skins, Lot, peel four apples and put them in a blender to make your smoothie. It's rich, rich, rich in quercetins and polyphenols that help this process. 100 milligrams of the B-complex, a uh, 1 milligram methylated folic acid, 1 milligram folated B12, also, taurine, uh, very good for you, helps this process. And uh, L-carnitine, L-carnitine, vitamin E, tocotrienols. These are all part of this. And then exercise. And have at least 12 hours between your last meal in the evening and breakfast the next morning. This caloric restriction will lead to changes in your metabolism, 
which leads to changes in your body mass index, which leads to changes to helping the lipids in your body re-regulate, bringing down your blood sugar, bringing down your blood pressure. Yeah, it works. I'm 21 minutes into the program. We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, I'm going to play you a short two-minute clip. It's a longer clip, but in it, it's very revealing. And I'll explain why it's revealing and why it's so important. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. Those markets. We found that it was bats, not mm. civets, was the original idea. Right, right. So then we started looking, where did they come from? And we went out to southern China and did surveillance of bats across southern China. And we've now found, after you know, six or seven years of doing this, um, over a hundred mm. new SARS-related coronaviruses, very close to SARS. Some of them get into human cells in the lab. Um, some of them right. can cause SARS disease in humanized mouse models and are untreatable uh, with uh, therapeutic mm -hmm. monoclonals and you can't vaccinate against them with the vaccine. So these are a clear and present danger. Yeah. We've even found people with antibodies in Yunnan to SARS-related coronaviruses. So there's like human exposure. Right. We're now doing um, surveillance. We're just beginning another five years of work to look at cohorts in southern China to say, well, how frequent does this spillover happen? And is it associated with disease? Because I expect, just like Nipah in Bangladesh, mm -hmm. there are dozens and dozens of small spillovers going on on the planet any one time, which we just never see. Sure. Yeah, they never amplify. There are yeah. a few cases and they're yeah. just absorbed in the illness, the overall illness of the population, right? Now you could say, so who cares? You know, and that's one argument. But our strategy is any one of those could become pandemic. There's a lot of stochasticity in what happens then. Yeah. So if we look yeah. at all of them, understand patterns, try and reduce the number of spillover events, we've got, a, you know. But if you're saying these are diverse uh, coronaviruses and you can't vaccinate against them, there are no antivirals, what, what, do, we, what do we do? Well, so I, I think that coronaviruses are pretty good. I mean, neurovirologists, you know all this stuff, but they, you can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. It's yeah. just spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the yeah. coronavirus, uh, zoonotic risk. So you can get the sequence, you can build the protein, and we work with Ralph Barrick at UNC mm -hmm. to do this. Um, insert it into the backbone of another virus right. and do, do some work in the lab. So you can get more predictive when you find a sequence. You've got this okay. diversity. Now, the, the logical progression for vaccines is if you're going to develop a vaccine for SARS, mm -hmm. people are going to use um, you know, pandemic SARS as the, yeah, sure, sure. but let's try and insert some of these other yeah, sure. related and, and get a better vaccine. And I guess also knowledge of what's there. If you see something emerging, it'd give it a head start on making yeah. a vaccine or a therapeutic. That's true. And, and, you know, better knowledge of where they are as well. So that yeah. you, can, you can put your money into these clinics that matter. And that's one of the big things that we've been trying to push. Okay. Well, how easy it is to manipulate them and getting the spikes protein. And now, why is this important? Because this is a World Health Organization inspector caught on camera revealing coronavirus manipulation in Wuhan before, shortly before the pandemic. All right. And uh, we want to thank Kiona Everington of the Taiwan News staff writer for uncovering this. And what we have here is simple. And this is according to the source, the video taken just days before the start of the coronavirus pandemic shows the current World Health Organization inspector discussed the testing of modified coronaviruses on human cells and humanized mice in the Wuhan Institute of Virology just weeks before the first case of COVID-19 was announced in the city of Wuhan itself. Quote, in a video that was originally taken on December 9th, 2019, three weeks before the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission announced an outbreak of a new form of pneumonia, virologist Vincent uh, Rantanalio interviewed British zoologist and president of the Echo Health Alliance, Peter Daszak, about his work at the nonprofit to protect the world from the emergence of, a new, of new diseases and predict pandemics. 
Since 2014, DASEX organization has received millions of dollars of funding from the U.S. National Institutes of Health, and which is has funneled that money to the Wuhan um, Institute of Virology to carry out research on bat coronaviruses. In the first phase of research, which took place from 2014 to 19, DASIC coordinated with Shi Zengli, also known as the Bat Woman, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology on investigating and cataloging bat coronaviruses across China. Echo Health Alliance received $3.7 million in funding from the National Institute of Health for this research, and 10% was channeled to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The second, more dangerous phase, which started in 2019, involved gain-of-function research on coronaviruses in, uh, in the humanized mice from the lab of Ralph S. Barrick of the University of North Carolina. Funding for the program was withdrawn by the National Institute of Health under the Trump administration on April 27th amid the pandemic. At, and again, this was at 28 minutes and 10 seconds into, the, into this interview. Dazic states that researchers found that SARS likely originated from bats and then set out to find more SARS-related coronaviruses, eventually finding over 100. He observed that some coronaviruses can, quote, get into human cells in the lab, end quote, and others can cause SARS disease, quote, in humanized mouse models, end quote. He ominously warned that such coronaviruses are, quote, untreatable with therapeutic monoclonal antibodies, and you cannot vaccinate against them with a vaccine, end quote. Ironically, he claims that his team's goal was trying to find the next, quote, spillover event that could cause the next pandemic, mere weeks before cases of COVID-19 were beginning to be reported in Wuhan. When the interviewer asked what can be done to deal with coronavirus given that there is no vaccine or therapeutic for them, Dazak at the 29 minute 54 second mark appears to reveal that the goal of the uh, Georgia uh, research experiments was to develop a pan-coronavirus vaccine for many different types of coronaviruses. Based on his response, it's evident that just before the start of the pandemic, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was modifying coronaviruses in the lab. Quote, you can manipulate them in the lab pretty easily, end quote. His words, not hearsay, not gossip, not conspiracy theory, in his own words. You all just heard it. What he then mentioned has become the telltale trait of SARS-2, its spike protein. Here's what he said, quote, Spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the coronavirus zoonotic uh, risk, end quote. He mentions the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology's collaboration with uh, Barrick at the University of North Carolina, quote, and we work with Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina to do this, end quote. I repeat, and we work with Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina to do this, end quote. As has been suggested by prominent uh, scientists, that SARS-2 is a chimera made in a lab. He speaks of inserting a spike protein, quote, into the backbone of another virus, end quote, his words, and then doing some, quote, some work in the lab, providing evidence of the creation of chimeras for the sake of a vaccine, he states, quote, now the logical progression for vaccines is if you are going to develop a vaccine for SARS, people are going to use pandemic SARS, but let's try to insert these other related diseases and get a better vaccine, end quote. So based on Dazik's statements, it appears that just before the start of the pandemic, the Wuhan Institute of Virology was using um, the experiments from Georgia University with Shimra in an attempt to create a vaccine. These experiments appeared to have included infecting mice genetically modified to express the human ACE2 protein with these ingredients. So, 
This is what you didn't know before today's show. Now you do. Will this be investigated as should be and all the other people that we have mentioned have links? Probably not. This administration is in close work with all of the major pharmaceutical companies and big corporations, and so the truth, unfortunately, will not get out. But at least you know a truth you didn't before today's program. And talking about truths getting out, how about this? This is from the British Medical Journal today. Stop global rollout of 5G networks until safety is confirmed, urges expert. Quote, we should err on the side of caution and stop the global rollout of 5G, fifth generation tele telecoms networks, until we are certain this technology is completely safe, urges an expert in an opinion piece published online in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. There are no health concerns about 5G and COVID-19, despite uh, what conspiracy theorists have suggested. They say, quote, but the transmitter density required for 5G means that more people will be exposed to radio frequency electromagnetic fields and at levels that emerging evidence suggests are potentially harmful to health, argues Professor John William Frank, Usher Institute, University of Edinburgh. Now, here's what I can add to that. If you go to uh, our page and look under 5G articles, you will see that there are thousands of articles in peer-reviewed journals and tens of thousands of scientists who say it's not a theory, it is absolute scientific fact. They damage cells, they hurt people, they cause cancer. So it's, it's almost like if you woke up today and you saw that everybody in every building, every office, every restaurant, all the subways, buses, cabs were smoking. And you said, you, aren't you aware of the danger of cigarette smoking? They said, well, the science is incomplete. You know, it, it's, there's still questions. For a hundred years, the tobacco industry got away with that lie. And think of how many people, estimated between 10 and 20 million Americans, died from the effects of smoking-related diseases. How many people will have to die or be injured from electromagnetic <clears throat> pollution <clears throat> before someone awakens to that reality? So thank you, British Medical Journal, for being honest and telling us about that. That's important. Now, I'm going to uh, give you some insights into why I'm concerned, and I posit this as being you're the person who must make the decision, not me, for your health, what's good for your body. But I'm posting this on PRN.fm. At this moment, hundreds of millions of people worldwide eagerly await the chance to be vaccinated against the SARS-2 virus. They've been given the assurance through an endless barrage of media reports and commentaries that these vaccines are safe and will prevent serious infection. We're told they are 95% effective. So how can we do much better than that? I'm on board if that's the truth. Yeah, no, no downside. However, after examining the documentation that has been made available, so far, there are very clear and legitimate challenges to this massive global propaganda campaign. Moreover, now that aggressive efforts are underway by governments and national health ministries for rapid vaccine deployment, we're beginning to receive a steady flow of reports about serious life-threatening injuries and lots of deaths among people already receiving the first round of the vaccine. The state of California's head epidemiologist has called for halting the distribution of a specific lot number of Moderna's vaccine after a series of concerning allergic reactions started occurring in clusters at various inoculation sites. Deaths in Norway after vaccination has risen to 33. Norway is now warning against vaccinating older patients with pre-existing illnesses. Do you remember I warned that that was likely the case? Do you remember I said on this program on numerous occasions the people that you should not be using this experimental vaccine on 
are people who already have compromised immune systems or autoimmune conditions because it can exacerbate them. Well, that is proven true. Last week, a probe by the Paul Ehrlich Institute was launched after 10 elderly Germans died within four days of vaccination. Germany is also reporting many other serious side effects, including anaphylaxis. In Israel, conditions of facial paralysis associated with Pfizer's RNA vaccine are worrying health authorities. One 23-year-old Israeli man was rushed to a hospital with a rare multi-system inflammatory syndrome within 24 hours of receiving the vaccine. Seemingly, the man was already asymptomatic with the virus. This raises a very serious question of whether the vaccine is more dangerous than people already infected, a medical concern that none of the Cyrus trials investigated, nor were they ever designed to. Israelis are becoming increasingly wary of suspicions. Why? Because they're seeing adverse effects with these that Pfizer has been using the nation as a staging ground for rolling out its COVID-19 vaccine, the first country to have done so. Netanyahu, in effect, signed up 7 million citizens to unwittingly be participants in a grand experiment. Consequently, the Israeli people are deprived of sufficient information about Pfizer's vaccine to make a personal risk-benefit analysis. Quote, what they, the Israeli citizens, are being asked to inject is not a vaccine defined by the CDC as a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, end quote, writes Jerusalem Health Wellness Counselor Aina Rachel Daniel. In her op-ed, quote, rather it is an experimental and novel technology. It is, in fact, a medical device a physical device that comes in a molecular-sized package, end quote. Pfizer, Moderna, and Anthony Fauci have already made it abundantly clear that these vaccines are not intended to stop transmission, but only to prevent serious illness. In the United States, as of January 19, 6,741 Americans have had serious enough vaccine adverse effects, with a total of 29,081 events that required special medical assistance or hospitalization after receiving the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. However, this is only what has been recorded by the CDC's Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, the VARIS, which the public can access. It does not include all of the adverse events reported in this separate data link reporting system, which is private and regarded as more thorough. These incidents and the new data being released about the vaccines compel us to return to an earlier question. How accurate were Moderna and Pfizer's headlines last autumn proclaiming 95% effectiveness amidst great fanfare? The question has been readdressed even by the prestigious British Medical Journal. Two weeks ago, the vaccine makers released more of their summary data. The journal's associate editor, Dr. Peter Doshi, has recently challenged the trustworthiness of the comp company's results. The 95% efficacy was based solely upon confirmed PCR tests, which itself, the PCR tests, are dubious because PCR was never developed to confirm nor diagnostically identify a live active viral infection. What was not reported in the original press releases were the, quote, suspected, end quote, end quote, unconfirmed, end quote, COVID-19 cases in both the vaccinated and placebo groups. After these cases were included in the calculation, the Pfizer vaccine effectiveness nosedives to approximately 19%, far below the 50% threshold to authorize its use, according to Doshi. Evidently, Pfizer seemingly ignored the 3,410 unconfirmed COVID cases from its original press release. Is this perhaps to increase stock prices or perhaps to raise Fauci and other uh, nations' adrenaline levels for a miracle on, on the horizon? You decide. Another red flag in Pfizer's initial reporting was the exclusion of 371 trial participants from their efficacy analysts. 
Pfizer fails to explain the rationale for excluding these individuals. In the meantime, distribution of Moderna and Pfizer's vaccines have entered warp speed. Not all of the data to support their efficacy and safety has been publicly released. Pfizer states it will do so upon request. Moderna will provide its raw data only after all of its clinical trials have been completed. But nevertheless, we are persuaded to roll up our sleeves without hesitation. The British Medical Journal's article warrants first-page headlines on newspapers across the country, especially those that proclaim 95% efficacy. It raises a very serious issue that should scientifically thwart false hopes and dreams that these COVID-19 vaccines will save us. They may be far more effective at, as cash cows feeding the corporation's bottom line instead of effective prophylaxis. However, no major press has bothered to give a nod, not a word. What should that tell you? How necessary are these vaccines in this war against SARS-2? Since we now have reliable evidence based upon the vaccine makers' own data that they are likely far less effective than we have been led to believe, they will not prevent asymptomatic infection nor transmission. They carry certain risks. So should we believe that they will make life any better? There's mounting data that the vaccine will not prevent infection. Over 12,000 Israelis have tested positive within two weeks after receiving the first vaccine dose, and cases are increasing for those who received a second dose as well. In addition, there is still no certainty for how long immunity will last. And we are being told that vaccinated persons will still need to wear masks, social distance, ergo, what good are these vaccines? What we do know is this, that living a healthy lifestyle will strengthen our immune system and help ward off serious infections of any kind. Second, there are safe, effective, and very inexpensive drug regimens that can be followed during the early onset of symptoms. Both hydroxychloroquine with zinc and, and, and uh, also ivermectin with zinc have been safely used for 50 years in the case of hydroxychloroquine, a little less for the other. Hundreds of studies document their efficacy. We have read every single study in the entire scientific literature on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And the preponderance, certainly almost 100% of ivermectin, low dose, early, it knocks it out. Thousands of physicians worldwide are coming forward to share their personal clinical experiences and their use to save lives and prevent unnecessary hospitalizations. What is remarkable is that Anthony Fauci, the federal health agencies and the media know this is true. This is not subjective or speculative hearsay. It is well documented in the National Library of Medicine and accessible to everyone after several mouse clicks on the library's website. And for those who say, but yes, but hydroxychloroquine is dangerous. When you use it at 9,000, 8,000, 12,000 milligrams per day, yes. But that was for people who were at death's door in hospital ICUs. When used at 200 to 400 milligrams early on, or even upon hospital admission, there's a very high success rate of keeping them alive. So that was scaremongering. And we have to understand that. Understand this. It is not conspiracy, therefore, to suggest something afoul has been unfolding. Not only were hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin unsoundly ridiculed as a first line of defense to treat COVID-19 infections, there was absolutely nothing offered in their stead. In the case of hydroxychloroquine, many states, such as New York, have made the drug unavailable even if doctors wish to prescribe it. What can be the motive for this bizarre, surreal scenario that contradicts the very moral basis upon which the practice of medicine is founded? It has also been shown that the dominant medical establishment efforts to prevent hydroxychloroquine's use included the publication of studies in two major medical journals, The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, 
an attempt to conclude the drug was dangerous and posed serious risks. Yet these papers were later proven to be based on ill-founded data and research gathered by a shady private enterprise with no previous medical credibility. The studies were subsequently retracted. But the official recommendations against hydroxychloroquine use were never lifted, never retracted. And not a single member of the mainstream media has broke ranks with any of Anthony Fauci's latest statements. In conclusion, the fact that the United States has failed to recommend and institute effective preventative protocols other than masks, social distancing, washing your hands, and lockdowns is a definitive sign of gross and perhaps intentional negligence and very likely incompetence. If a person tests positive despite being asymptomatic, she or he is treated no different than those who exhibit signs of illness. Yet humans have carried and spread infectious microbes throughout history without indications of illness. Fortunately, a growing number of physicians, scientists, and healthcare professionals are stating publicly their opposition to Washington's draconian pandemic policies. And these are otherwise conservative mainstream doctors, not conservative politically, conservative in their practices. And by no means they are, these are not conspiracy theorists, who are also voicing concerns over the new generation of vaccines that are frankly unwarranted and will likely barely make a dent in changing anything. After all, didn't they say, two weeks of a lockdown, everything returns normal? That didn't work. Months of lockdown. Well, then a second lockdown. That didn't work. Now a third lockdown. That didn't work. And in some cases, a fourth lockdown. How many lockdowns does it take? How much compliance is required? How many businesses are shut? How many schools closed down? How many children seeking mental care because they're so stressed because of lack of social interaction with children? How many suicides before some technocrat, bureaucrat says, maybe we got it wrong? Yeah, you got it wrong. Or we may ask whether halting the pandemic is these vaccines' real intentions. Given government's horrendous track record of corruption and deceit and bias, nothing should be left off the table as a possibility. This is a lesson for everyone without hesitation to become wise, alert, and discern everything that is being stated about the virus, the pandemic, and especially our federal and corporate responses to curtail it. In the 4th century BCE, a banker's son threw the city of Sinope into scandal by counterfeiting coins. When the dust finally settled, the young man, Diogenes of Sinope, had been stripped of his citizenship, his money, and all his possessions. At least, that's how the story goes. While many of the details of Diogenes's life are shadowy, the philosophical ideas born out of his disgrace survive today. In exile, Diogenes decided that by rejecting the opinions of others and societal measures of success, he could be truly free. He would live self-sufficiently, close to nature, without materialism, vanity, or conformity. In practice, this meant he spent years wandering around Greek cities with nothing but a cloak, staff, and knapsack, outdoors year-round foregoing technology, baths, and cooked food. He didn't go about this new existence quietly, but is said to have teased passers-by and mocked the powerful, eating, urinating, and even masturbating in public. The citizens called him a kion, a barking dog. Though meant as an insult, dogs were actually a good symbol for his philosophy. They're happy creatures, free from abstractions like wealth or reputation. Diogenes and his growing number of followers became known as dog philosophers, or cunicoi, a designation that eventually became the word cynic. These early cynics were a carefree bunch, drawn to the freedom of a wandering lifestyle. As Diogenes's reputation grew, others tried to challenge his commitment. Alexander the Great offered him anything he desired, but instead of asking for material goods, Diogenes only asked Alexander to get out of his sunshine. After Diogenes' death, adherents to his philosophy 
continued to call themselves cynics for about 900 years, until 500 CE. Some Greek philosophers, like the Stoics, thought everyone should follow Diogenes' example. They also attempted to tone down his philosophy to be more acceptable to conventional society, which, of course, was fundamentally at odds with his approach. Others viewed the cynics less charitably. In the Roman province of Syria, in the second century CE, the satirist Lucian described the cynics of his own time as unprincipled, materialistic, self-promoting <laughs> hypocrites who only preached what Diogenes had once actually practiced. Reading Lucian's texts centuries later, Renaissance and Reformation writers called their rivals cynics as an insult, meaning people who criticized others without having anything worthwhile to say. This usage eventually laid the groundwork for the modern meaning of the word cynic, a person who thinks everyone else is acting out of pure self-interest even if they claim a higher motive. Still, the philosophy of cynicism had admirers, especially among those who wished to question the state of society. The 18th century French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau was called the new Diogenes when he argued that the arts, sciences, and technology corrupt people. In 1882, Friedrich Nietzsche reimagined a story in which Diogenes went into the Athenian marketplace with a lantern, searching in vain for a single honest person. In Nietzsche's version, a so-called madman rushes into a town square to proclaim that God is dead. This was Nietzsche's way of calling for a revaluation of values and rejecting the dominant Christian and Platonic idea of universal spiritual insights beyond the physical world. Nietzsche admired Diogenes for sticking stubbornly to the here and now. More recently, the hippies of the 1960s have been compared with Diogenes as countercultural rebels. Diogenes' ideas have been adopted and reimagined over and over again. The original cynics might not have approved of these fresh takes. They believed that their values of rejecting custom and living closely with nature were the only true values. Whether or not you agree with that, or with any of the later incarnations, all have one thing in common. They questioned the status quo. And that's an example we can still follow. Not to blindly follow conventional or majority views, but to think hard about what is truly valuable. Thinking critically about our institutions and way of life is more important than ever. Hone your newfound skepticism with these videos. Have a nice day, everyone.